Welcome back to another episode. Today's show is brought to you by Envision, a simpler, cleaner, better future. Envision is a renewable energy project funded by blockchain technology, providing a better access for cryptocurrency. For more information, visit nvzntoken.com and to acquire the NVZN token, visit whitebit.com. Again, for more information on the NVZN token, visit nvzntoken.com. And if you'd like to purchase the token, visit whitebit.com. Well, I appreciate you doing this. Um, please let the people know who you are and what you do. I'm Hala, and I'm the host of Young and Profiting Podcast. We are a number one education podcast across all apps. I'm also the CEO of Yap Media, which is a social media marketing and podcast production agency. And so I have over 40 employees in a very fast growing company. In our first year, we're expected to hit uh, $2 million in revenue in our first year. So really exciting and happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, what was the inspiration behind this? Behind the podcast? Behind the podcast, behind, you know, essentially the source of your drive. You know, what drove yeah. you to starting this and then starting the media company and everything else? Yeah, so I have always been in love with the broadcasting industry. I started my career at Hot 97 about 10 years ago. I used to be Angie Martinez's assistant. For those of you guys who don't know her, she's the voice of New York. So I did that for three years. I had a radio station. Uh, sorry, I had a, a blog site after that called The Sorority of Hip Hop. And um, we had many different online radio shows. And so having a radio show... Uh, not necessarily a podcast is something that I've been doing for a decade now. I've this young and profiting podcast is like my fifth or sixth show. Um, so I've had a lot of reps. I've had a lot of practice. And um, so broadcasting was always a passion of mine. And when it came to young and profiting podcast, I basically merged different passions. So broadcasting was a passion and business. And so I merged those two things and came out with my first ever solo podcast where before my shows were really focused on music. And I used to interview a lot of music artists and kind of it was like fun and games. And this was a way more serious show about self-improvement. And so that was my passion and my drive comes from wanting to serve other people. I I failed a lot in my 20s and I felt like I had, had a lot to share and I was pretty successful um, early on and wanted to help other people become young and profiting and interview the brightest minds in the world and, and do the best research I could to get the most information out of these amazing, brilliant minds who come on my podcast and help elevate the people who listen to it. So really that's my number one driver. And then with Yap Media, um, a very similar drive. I want to help CEOs launch their personal brand and, and elevate their presence online. So it's, it's, um, and doing everything that I did for myself in the podcast and then scaling that to other people. Right. And when, with, and, you know, with experience like that, I think you have a lot of insight. Um, and maybe we could touch on some recurring elements that you've observed that contribute to success in the podcast space, um, you know, throughout your years. Yeah. So, so your question is what, what, makes a successful podcast? Yeah, some of the recurring elements like consistency, um, you know, better research, uh, oh, yeah. infrastructure, like some of the elements. Yeah. So one thing that I, I would love to point out to everybody tuning in is that when it comes to a podcast, it's not only about your content. It's also about the promotion. So I always tell people 50% promotion, 50% production. A lot of people do like 80% production and content and 20% promotion. But if you create a podcast and you're not promoting it, then no one's going to find it. 
and it's a big waste of time. And so I would say slow down your frequency of episodes and ramp up your promotion and really focus on that. Um, I think that to the similar point, marketing is something that people often forget about when it comes to their podcast. They think they're going to throw it up on the podcast apps and people are just going to magically find their show. And it's not how it works. Most podcasters are actually very unsuccessful and have very limited downloads. And it's mostly because they're perfecting their content and really working hard on that, but not even bothering to figure out how to promote it, whether that's on social media, whether that's through paid ads, whether that's through media buying, whether that's through guesting on other podcasts, there's a million ways to promote your show. And, and there's lots of ways to get creative with it. And I feel like one of the reasons why I'm very successful as a podcaster isn't because I'm the best podcaster in the world. It's because I'm really good at marketing. And so because I'm a good podcaster and great at marketing, I was able to succeed. And so I think it's, uh, I would really encourage any up and coming podcasters out there to take their marketing courses, to get their hands dirty, to start experimenting, to invest in their marketing, and you'll be a lot better off. I absolutely agree. And um, I've been attending some of the clubhouse sessions that you guys do uh, around this, in terms of the marketing elements. Um, but if we could just, you know, kind of remind people of what some of the marketing elements are um, and maybe some of the things that you used when you first started. Yeah. So there's lots of ways to market your podcast. I would say number one is social media. So I would say that creating micro content out of your podcast is key. And also choosing to record video for your podcast is really important. So a lot of people start off with an audio podcast and I think that's a miss. I think even if you don't ever put the full video episode out, having that video content is great for social media and podcasts are long form content on social media. You need short form content. That's usually under five minutes, some platforms that's under a minute long, but you take that full episode video, you chop it up, you throw it up on social media, some three minute clips, five minute clips, one minute clips for Instagram and uh, write compelling copy that gets people engaged with your post that gets them talking, pick a snippet from your podcast that's either controversial or gives some uh, advice that people might feel inspired or motivated from, and then ask an engaging question so people actually comment and participate. And to close the loop, what I always tell people to do is to retarget those who like and comment on their social posts. So if you put up a post with micro content for your podcast, you can then engage people who like and comment. Basically, they're raising their hand. It's called permission-based marketing. And you can say, hey, thank you so much for liking my recent clip um, about my episode with Dr. Caroline Leaf. If you want to hear the full show, here's the link to do so. Let me know your feedback. Would love to hear your thoughts. And so basically directly engaging people in direct messages with a link to your podcast is key to make people actually take that action from going from one app to another. You want to reduce that friction as much as possible. And that's why direct message is a great way to do that because you give one-on-one -on -one attention. They feel heard, listen to you, they feel connected to you. And as an added bonus, the algorithms in these social media platforms are going to prioritize your post because it's signaling relevancy that you're DMing someone and that you guys are friends. So they'll start to see your content, support you more because you proactively reached out to them. So that is such a great strategy for people that is very underused. And you can use this 
for anything, even if you don't have a podcast. So let's say you have a business and you're promoting your product on a post. Anybody who likes or comments on that, you can then DM them to any link that kind of further takes them down the funnel of whatever you're trying to sell because they've basically raised their hand and said, Hey, I'm interested. And you can solicit me. It's an opt-in essentially. So I think that's, that's a key point uh, that I wanted to make. Right. Uh, Is there a way to automate that or does that require um, sort of manual attention? Yeah. So I think there's two ways to kind of scale this on LinkedIn. You can still use automation softwares. So there's duck soup, there's linked helper too. There's all these different automation tools that will scrape posts. You have to, you know, learn how to use them. You have to make sure you follow limits. You have to make sure that, you know, you don't flag any suspicious activity because these platforms don't want you to use automation tools. And then the second way that you can scale it is through virtual assistants. So there's lots of people overseas who will work for relatively cheap because the monetary value for them is much different than it is in America. So like 600 bucks a month is somebody's full-time salary in India, you know? And so basically you'll be able to hire people for very cheap to do actions like this, repetitive actions, um, and respond to people as a human. So I use a mix of both. I use automation tools for the first couple of messages. And then I use a VA who follows a virtual assistant or a VA who follows a direct message script where we have all our frequently asked uh, questions that I get on my social media. And then the team knows exactly how to respond. And, um, and then a lot of the times I'm in my DMS responding to people because I love to connect with my fans. Right. Absolutely. Um, we could take it back to when you first started, you know, what was that first experience like working in the media space? Um, not sure if it was, uh, if your first experience was working with Angie Martinez or if you had a show before that, but yeah. um, you know, what was that first step like? Yeah. So my first foray into broadcasting was at hot 97. So I was a junior in college. I got this internship. Um, I landed an internship in the production side, which is like the corporate side. I did a great job. And then they recruited me to work in the studio area. And so the studio area was like really, really closed off. Only like 13 people had access to it. It's where all the celebrities were every day. And so I was in this middle I, I I sat in the middle of all the studios and I was the only person, only girl. <laughs> and every day a different, like different celebrities would be. So one day it'd be Drake, one day it'd be Rihanna, one day it'd be JLo. And so I met everyone. And my job was to run the contests, answer the phones, do the research. And then eventually I started saying commercials for the radio and, and, and like reading commercials on the radio. And then eventually I was running the Dillette boards, which kind of ran the music. And I would like, fade in and fade out the different songs. And it was mortifying because I was responsible for the biggest radio station in the world. If I had screwed up and there was like dead air, it's like millions of people would hear my screw up. So it was like so, so intense, like running those boards felt really, really scary. Um, But it was a really great experience. I mean, I was an intern who that worked for free for three years and I was being primed to be the next voice of New York. I was being primed to essentially replace Angie Martinez eventually. And a lot of the, there was a lot of young people working for free at the station like me who are now extremely famous, successful DJs. And we were all friends, like who kind of like started out together. And so I would host radio shows on the side while working at Hot 97. 
Um, I wasn't on Hot 97 as a radio host. Like you needed to essentially work for free for 10 years before you were given that opportunity. So I used to have online radio shows, shows which were like the precursor to podcasting back then. This was about 10 years ago. And I would have some of the up and coming DJs like DJ Drewski, DJ Juanito. If you guys are from New York, you probably know these names. They're huge DJs now. And they used to be on my show and I'd be the personality like Angie and they would they would be the DJs and and we used to do our little shows. So that was so much fun. And I would make my money hosting like showcases at night. I would host these like underground hip hop shows and sell tickets to that and host them. And so that gave me a lot of practice on the mic too, hosting these parties and concerts. And then I would go around with the DJs and to the parties with them and kind of just like help out anything that I could do. I did everything. I would feed the meter for them. I would get them coffee. I would work on the shows. I would babysit their kids. I did anything for, for those folks. And, um, you know, it ended up being a moment of failure at the end of it because I worked there for three years and really poured my heart into it. And I'm very hard worker, always have been. And uh, when a paid opportunity opened up, they didn't give it to me. They gave it to somebody else. And I was devastated because I had been working there, busting my butt for three years. And I texted DJ Drewski, who is uh, a very popular DJ now, who got the job over me. He was a couple of years older than me. And, as, and we were really good friends. And I texted him, hey, I don't feel good today. I don't want to come into work. If you want to learn how to be the producer, learn it on your own. And he showed that text to Angie Martinez and she got really mad at me. And she basically was like, cut her key card. She's never coming back. Nobody can talk to her anymore. And they basically tried to blacklist me. And so I essentially had to start from zero. I went from having all the connections in the world and hanging out with celebrities every weekend to all these people who used to be my mentors and friends, essentially uh, scared to lose their own jobs to even talk to me. And had to just start from zero. And then I started something called the sorority of hip hop, strawberryblonde.com. I recruited uh, 14 girls within two weeks and started this whole movement called the hip hop sorority, the sorority of hip hop. And uh, we blew up within three months. We were one of the most popular hip hop and entertainment sites in the world. We were hosting the coolest parties. I had all the DJs from hot 97 who wouldn't pay me minimum wage or return my calls now asking me to host their parties for them. And I was on the flyers with them side by side. So if you go scroll through my Facebook or Instagram, you'll see me all the flyers with DJ Camillo and funk master flex and all these huge, huge DJs. And, um, I basically did a hop, skip and a jump over to the front of the line and uh, did it on my own because I, I didn't want to take no for an answer. Nobody was going to blacklist me from this industry. So that was uh, just a, a moment of failure. But then I turned it right around and kind of made the most out of it and, and created my own path. Right. Uh, that's beautiful. And sometimes that's the best way to go about things. Um, but there is some there's, you know, learning in an environment where, you know, everyone involved is just learning and, and, and their success around you, I think is invaluable. And I'm sure that really contributed to your own drive and your own motivation. And, you know, some of the elements that you took from working for Angie Martinez in creating your own, um, you know, the website and maybe even the podcast now. Yeah. But um, if we could talk about that a little bit, you know, the value in being under or being in an infrastructure where you can learn from somebody else um, before you start something of your own. Yeah. A lot of people just jump direct. They start something and and that's fine. Like they're, you know, not trying to discourage anyone from starting something, but 
I don't hear um, enough people talk about the value in maybe having a corporate job or maybe working for somebody in the industry that you want to essentially own a business in. Yeah, I actually think that's a really, really excellent point because I think one of the reasons why Young and Profiting Podcast is so successful is because I've had so many different experiences and I've been able to take all of those experiences and elements from them and stack them all together to put together this unique offering of Young and Profiting. So for example, I worked at Hot 97. I owned a blog site. I ran social media for many different corporations. I've produced six different shows um, all different types of shows, right? I have grown LinkedIn company accounts working for other companies. I worked for Disney streaming services. I learned the in and outs of the streaming industry and how to acquire subscribers and and things like that and and all these different metrics that I never knew about before. Um, I learned how to have, you know, conversations with executives and things like that, which now helps me when I present to sponsors, for example. So it's like I learned all these different things along the journey that now I'm able to take package up and use for young and profiting podcasts. So I think that's a huge, huge thing. And so for Hot 97 specifically, it's like that was the first time that like I, I had a job that was so important that there was like a big there was a deadline every day, you know, I was responsible to create the news for the Angie Martina show, which was like the premise of her show. I was responsible for that show brief every single day and had to be ready at a, every single day at a certain time. And so I remember like always just running around the station, you know, from the printer to the studio room and making sure everything was perfect and, you know, having to multitask and, and answer the phones and, and run the contest. And then it gave me leadership opportunities because then once the new interns came around, I was the one training all the interns. Mm -hmm. And so it's like so many different skills I've taken from that. I learned how to audio edit. I first started blogging because I was working for DJ Enough's blog. And then that's how I learned how to blog. And then I took that and started the sorority of hip hop. So it's like you learn all these little things along the way and then you reuse them over and over and over and stack them up. It's called skill stacking. And I feel like that's really the key to any sort of success. And I definitely agree. I've seen lots of podcasters who last year were at the same level as me, but I had a lot more experience in life. Like, like these kids were 23 years old. I'm, I'm, you know, in my early thirties and they're gone. Like they were at the same level as me last year and they're wiped out. They don't even, some, most of them don't even podcast anymore. And it's because they didn't have the experience to scale. They didn't know how to grow a team. Like I have a team of 40 people now, you know what I mean? They didn't know how to, how to monetize what they were doing. They didn't have the experience to monetize it. Now I'm, you know, making way more than I did in my corporate job, running a podcast in this media agency. So it's, it does make sense to get experience and learn on somebody else's dime, you know, but Absolutely. what you don't want to do is be stuck with just institutional knowledge. Um, so I'll give you an example. I worked at Hewlett Packard in the marketing department for five years. Um, it was right after I ended the story of hip hop. We didn't get into the story, but I almost had a show on MTV and uh, they filmed me all summer and I was supposed to be the lead and essentially be the next Snooki. It was right after Jersey Shore and they wanted a show about the sorority of hip hop because we were a wild bunch. Like we were 50 girls. We used to host parties, concerts, and it was just a crazy, crazy time and really deserved a reality TV show. I was in it firsthand. We would have been stars, you know, but one reason or another, they didn't pick the show. 
and they didn't just they decided not to air it. I think it was controversial that I was a Palestinian American as the lead of the show, to be quite honest. This was 2014, a little bit after 9-11. The world wasn't ready for it. And I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't get the show. So anyway, I didn't get the show and I was devastated. I I went and, and worked at HP. I was so advanced because I was learned marketing online. I learned from YouTube, Google. I learned how to hack Twitter. I learned how to like everything about SEO and websites. And so when I got to marketing, I was so much more advanced than everybody else my age in the marketing department. I was like the star because I was so tech savvy. And at that time, social media was relatively new and everybody else had worked at HP for many years and was stuck learning only what was available to them directly within the company. That's called institutional knowledge, right? Whereas I learned on the internet. But then as I stayed at HP for five years, I started being stuck in this, like only learning what was around me. So it's like I had come with so much knowledge and elevated everybody else, but then there was nobody else to learn from because I was the most knowledgeable, right? And so that's a scary thing. So if you are in corporate, you want to make sure that you're side hustling and doing other things where you're learning new things. So that's one of the reasons why I started Young and Profiting Podcast my last year at HP was because I was like, I feel like I'm not learning anymore. And I want to get, I like podcasting is blowing up. I want to learn about this. So I'm just going to start doing it myself so that I can get that firsthand experience. So I think having a corporate job where you learn like how to run a business, you, you learn some core skills, but then also having a side hustle where you can learn some innovative skills and learn from the internet and learn from Google and YouTube and all that kind of stuff, I think is also equally as important. Um, and to get a mix of both, I think is the best of both worlds. I agree. I think, um, you know, again, being in that infrastructure is valuable, but if you're not growing, it's just, you know, especially when you have desires to do something of your own. Um, and if we can touch on how you kind of balanced your time, because working a full-time corporate job and having the desire to have your own podcast, media company, or side hustle, um, you know, requires making a lot of sacrifices, not yeah. doing certain things. So if we could kind of touch on that a little bit, just to paint a somewhat accurate picture of what a day-to-day would look like when you're doing all these things. Yeah. So at the, the, so I I am a full-time entrepreneur now since February of 2020. So pretty damn recent, you know, and at one point I was running a number one education podcast. I was an executive at Disney streaming services and I had 30 employees running a marketing agency all at the same time. So that was crazy. And I do not necessarily recommend (laughs) waiting as long as I did. I, I was really chicken to quit my job because I was very scarred from all my failed entrepreneurial experiences from when I was younger. And it was really hard for me to lose that, that, that safety of having a corporate job. And it was just a little, I was just traumatized from my past experiences. So I, I should have jumped ship like four months earlier than I did, but whatever. I managed my time by making sure that I didn't do anything wasteful. I don't watch TV at all. You know, only if it's like I'll watch movies with my boyfriend date night type of things on the weekend, but I don't watch TV, like literally none. The only TV show I'll ever watch is Shark Tank. And that's because I feel like it's also learning at the same time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I literally don't watch TV. So that's like number one. I don't do wasteful activities. I also don't typically 
mindlessly scroll on social media. It's like social media is work for me. So if I'm on social, I'm engaging with my fans. I'm creating content. I'm creating a video for social. I'm not like looking at what everybody else is doing. I'm not, that's, I'm not wasting my time getting jealous. Yeah. So the other thing is that I maximized all my time. So I used to work at Disney. I used to have to commute from Brooklyn to the city and that was 45 minutes a day. So in the morning I would do my LinkedIn post of the day. That was my main channel. Something else to note is that I didn't, when I was starting, I wasn't focused on, oh, I need to be huge on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. I was like, no, I'm going to become the biggest influencer on LinkedIn. Right. And I only focus on LinkedIn. And now I am literally like one of the biggest influencers on LinkedIn. So I did my social posts on LinkedIn every single day in the morning on the train. On the way back, I would do all my engagement. Uh, So I would do all my responding to comments, responding to DMs, that kind of stuff. So that's how I use the train ride every single day to maximize my time. Now, the other thing that I did is during lunch, I would always take my lunch hour at Disney and I would do interviews most of the time. And, uh, I would do interviews or I would take calls related to my podcast, or I would just do some sort of work. So I always took my lunch hour for myself most of the time. And it usually was recording an interview and literally like running into the phone booth to try to do one of these interviews while I was working at corporate, which was fun, you know, uh, when there was no conference rooms and like having to like find a quiet place was funny. I mean, one time I literally went to a a janitor's closet to do an interview. It wasn't on video yet, um, to make sure that I got it done. So it's like basically being scrappy and like not making any excuses. I would be carrying my 50 pounds of equipment on the train back and forth, which is like, I feel like I have back problems from that now, but it's like not taking no for an answer. So many people would use that as an excuse, not me. You know, I was like, I'm going to have a podcast and everyone's going to know about it. And I'm going to be fully transparent to everybody at work that this is a goal of mine and everyone's going to respect it. And they did. I never got any crap for having a podcast or a side hustle because at the end of the day, having somebody who was so visible as I was in a positive way online was good for the company as well. So it's like, I never got any slack for that. Um, what else have, what else did I do? I mean, I study a lot for my interviews. So I know that you're very casual. It sounds like everything is kind of on the fly. I'm the exact opposite. I study 10 to 20 hours for my interviews and make sure that I have so much information about my guests so I can make sure I pull out all the best gems from them. Everybody has their own style. So I'm not saying one is right or wrong, but, um, I would study a lot. And so that takes up time. So on the train also, I would study when I'm working out, I'm studying when I'm cleaning, I'm studying when I'm, um, just anything that I can do and multitask, I'm usually listening to other interviews of upcoming guests so that I can just absorb random tidbits here and there. It helps me become more confident during the interviews and also like relate to them more because I'll be able to just like pull random information like, oh yeah, I remember you said this, blah, blah, blah. And then like use that tangent to ask a new question. And so, um, yeah, it's all about multitasking and it's all about not wasting your time, not spending time on unproductive things, not making excuses. We all have the same 24 hours in a day, whether you're Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. And a lot of people try to act like they don't have the time for a side hustle, but I can guarantee you, if you track your time, there's so many, like so much time is wasted, literally doing nothing. Right. You know? uh, I do want to touch on something real quick before yeah. we move on. Um, I think part of the reason why a lot of people are not able to have a side hustle or give it that the attention that it needs is because they can't win the mental battle 
between gravitating towards leisure or doing something that requires mm -hmm. effort and hard work that doesn't mm -hmm. produce in immediate results that make them feel validated or fulfill fulfilled. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in your experience, you know, how did you constantly keep that drive active? How did you proceed with that sense of motivation and urgency as opposed to being like, I'm young, I have time, you know, I can take as long as I want or need. And, you know, I could do it when I have on the weekends or something like that, you know? Yeah, I think it's just because, like, I just wanted it so bad. You know what I mean? It's like, this was my dream forever. And just getting started was enough motivation for me to keep going. Like, I think people really get caught up in the planning of everything. And when you're in planning mode and you don't actually do anything, it's really hard to get motivated. So it's like actually just taking action. It's like I threw up my podcast. I spent a lot of time on my first episode, but like, for example, like my podcast cover art has changed five times. You know, it's not the same as what came out in 2018. And that's because it was good enough in 2018 for me to put up, you know, it was, it can be messy. You know, you can be 80% there, just do something and put it out there and start iterating on it. Which and is I think just why my, sorry yeah. to cut you off, which is actually kind of why my podcast is casual because I prefer just, you know, organic conversations as opposed to um, kind of, how do I, how do I frame this? There's like a puzzle piece kind of thing, which happens in the podcasting space, in my experience, at least where people have a predetermined script that they say on every podcast, just to get like a promotion, you know, slot or whatever. And I try to keep it casual so that I just, it's just casual, like it's organic. It's not the same thing that people have heard on 50 different podcasts. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, um, in terms of kind of staying motivated or, or just getting stuff done as opposed to planning, I think it is really important to just do it. it but it's also important to plan, like you said, which goes into, you know, how you structure your show uh, in terms of doing research and, and having somewhat of an infrastructure around it. Um, but when you first started, you had to do everything on your own. So what were you prioritizing? Yeah, so when I was doing, well, first of all, I want to say that I was doing everything on my own, but by episode two, I already had volunteers. Um, <laughs> I don't know how it happened. It's so funny. By episode two, Timothy Tan, who's now my business partner and owns 10% of everything that I do, like reached out to me on LinkedIn and was like, how can I help? I just want to get involved. And then before I knew it by episode eight, I had 10 volunteers in a Slack channel working on my show. So I grew a team very quickly. And I think that's one of the secrets of my success is that I, I know how to motivate volunteers. And now those people are paid, but for a long time they weren't. And so I would have to motivate them just based on mentoring them and teaching them new things and making it worth their time in terms of the experience that they're gaining. Right? right. And so I think part of the winning recipe when it comes to growing anything is getting the right people around you to help support you and outsource things that you're not necessarily the best at. Right. And so um, in terms of prioritizing, it was always like, how do I just make sure that I have an episode up? And how do I market that episode? Like that, this is the basics. It's like, how do I make sure that my episode comes? Now I have like two, three episodes that come out a week. But before it was like, I had one episode a week and I would be lucky if I got it out on time. There were so many weeks where like the first, I think the first year of Yap, I had like 24 episodes. 
there's 52 weeks in a year. I miss half my deadlines, you know, and it's just because I was doing it on my own and I was working a full-time job. And then, you know, I would say by six months into it, I was consistent week over week. Um, you know, maybe that was an exaggeration. I only had 24 episodes first year, but like it was, it was every other week. And then it turned to weekly. And then I finally was able to turn out an episode every single Monday. And then finally we were four episodes ahead and then we could focus more on marketing. Cause like the content was kind of ready to go and we could just focus more on the marketing piece. And it, it was just a lot of multitasking, a lot of weekends, nights, you know, I'd wake up early in the morning. I forgot to mention this before, when you were asking me about time management, I used to wake up two hours earlier to work on my podcast. Then I would come home after work and work on my podcast. You know, I'd cook dinner for my boyfriend, hang out with my boyfriend. Then he'd go, he's a music producer and used to work nights, which worked great for me because he would leave at like 10. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to sleep for two hours. So I might as well work on my podcast, you know? And so I just any little free time I had, it was just little action, little action, little action and little actions over a, over a long time add up. And so it's like, I feel that anybody can start a side hustle, whether you're spending 10 hours a week or 20 hours a week. It's just, you know, if you want to accelerate it, increase your hours per week, but you can do it slowly over time. And honestly, I think I did it pretty slowly over time. Um, And then it just all kind of blew up. And I was like, all right, I'm at a crossroads where I'm making more money in my side hustle. Why am I still working in corporate job? And then I quit. That's the dream. Yeah. I appreciate your time. Um, Please let the people know where they could find you, where they could find the podcast. And of course. So uh, again, my name is Hala Taha. I'm the host of Young and Profiting Podcast. You can find us on all major platforms, Apple, CastBox, Spotify, Google Play, you name it. We're also on YouTube. And I interview some of the brightest minds in the world. So I've been interviewed Matthew McConaughey, Seth Godin, Robert Green. If you guys want to learn about productivity, time management, um, how to gain influence, um, just a multitude of topics. It's a new topic each week or, and we have two shows a week now. Um, so if you guys want to hear more of that, definitely subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast and let me know how you found out about the show. DM me on LinkedIn or Instagram. I'm at Yap with Hala on Instagram and Hala Taha on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.